Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. It's FOMO Friday. Is it really? I saw a great tweet from my friend Morgan. It goes, we've gone from 1929 to 1999. We were panicked on the downside. And now everybody's wishing they own stocks. Yeah. As you know, I, as I was telling you when we started the show, this is like something going on here. It's probably huh. a buy. It's probably, you know, I was trying to calm people down a month ago. And here we are 30% higher, uh, 25% higher. As, and now people are like, oh, I got to get in. I wish I had cash now. Neither are correct. We are somewhere in between. As I said today, if you think you understand the fundamentals, you're just lying. We're trading on like ether. No one knows. <laughs> whole new territory here. Whole new territory. So please uh, enjoy these uh, this rally, but like be responsible. Uh, and let's think about community. Speaking of community today, who's, who's, who's just been focused on community since he dropped uh, out of the tech scene a little while ago and is working on a lot of new stuff. Today, uh, we're going to talk to Chris Saka who, oh, uh, wow. full disclosure, is an LP in, in social leverage. Uh, but we don't know each other that well, but obviously from investing in tech together for, I don't know, 10, 12 years, we know each other. And he's traded, he's started out at Google, he's from Buffalo, wears cowboy shirts, been on Shark Tank for a while, uh, first investor in Uber, first investor in Instagram, one of the best funds of all time. <clears throat> and uh, also early a Twitter investor, Yada, yada, yada. Working on, he'll tell us he's working on a new low uh, carbon, uh, kind of a global climate fund. He'll end with that and talk about that because he's living in Wyoming off the grid for the last little while raising his kids. So really interesting story. And so we're going to get him on the phone right next. But first, Knut, you have a PSA. Is that a prostate thing? Yes, it is. No, you have a, a small announcement for everybody, right? Yeah, I do. Okay, let's take it away, and we'll be, uh, and then we'll get going. Hi, everyone. This is Knut. Just a quick word before we get started. Uh, as we all know, COVID-related supplies are so hard to find these days, not just for regular people, but also for the big buyers. Even state governments can't get their hands on PPE supplies, mostly because the federal government is outbidding them. I mean, that's crazy, right? Through my best buddy Stein back in Norway, I know of a large Chinese supplier of FDA-approved PPE gear that's ready to supply big quantities. So if you know someone or know of someone at the state level in need of critical PPE supplies, please have them email me at this address, covid.stein at gmail.com. That's C-O-V-I-D dot S-T-E-I-N at gmail.com. And I'll give him the contact info and list of available supplies. Just so you guys know, Panic with Friends is not making any money from this. This is purely a way for us to help put people in contact with each other. It's social leveraging at its best. Thank you, Knud. Thank you. Fuck, you got a voice. You should do the show. And I should just read you lines like Cyrano de Bergerac. I think the ratings are good. Just write up. a script and I'll do it. Yeah. No, I'd have to just talk from the other room into your ear and you would have to delay <laughs> talk. I think it would sound smarter. <laughs> I sound like an ass. Like I listen to him and I'm like cringe. And okay. thank God I don't have people to see my likes, nose. Nobody likes their own voice coming out of a blouse. So figure. insecure. Okay. I have a face for bed. Uh, all right. So Chris Saka, he's great. We're going to get him on the phone. Uh, he's just going to, he doesn't hold back. So I'll have to kind of hold him back because I don't want to cause him any aggravation. Uh, he's a Manscaped guy, in my opinion. He's rugged, outdoorsy. So let's go Manscaped. We're investors in Manscaped. They have a special offer, the Lawnmower 3.0 Cutting Edge Ceramic Blade to prevent manscaping accidents. And we all know what that's like. You can't afford an inch. You can't afford a centimeter. So the Lawnmower is the place. Take my advice. Go to manscaped.com, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D. I think I spelled it wrong. And try the lawnmower 3.0. Uh, use social leverage, our fund name, to get a 20% discount and free shipping. Let's get Chris on the phone. It's Chris. Chris Saka. What's good, man? What's good is, sounds like Wyoming is good. What is the temperature? I thought I had your number on block, actually. It's weird this call got through. 80% of the people I know have me on block. 
Proud of that. <laughs> or mute. Twenty percent mute, eighty percent block. Or their kids Sunday answer. Is like, yeah, it's like forty eight, so fishing season has started. Balmy. I'm gonna have to come fish with you. I'm a big fisherman. What, what like, do you fish for there? Are you fly like you throw or like wor- worms and chunks of corn dough and stuff like that? Or you I don't try. Guy? I find Arizona is known for lightweight explosives. So what I, <laughs> why waste, why kill animals? Like why kill the animals to kill the animals? Just a lightweight surface explosive and they float right to you. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, that's how Jews and Phoenix fish. The, what just a little math on the end of your lure yeah just a little just that's interesting too so tell me you're in in jackson wyoming yep and how big's the family now you have three kids yep and everybody's quarantined and working from home yeah google uh google sent me my location-based activity update today and it says i've traveled eight car miles in the entire month of march there's going to be the Which lowest would, deaths in this country of all time. I mean, obviously COVID is a disaster, but I think people are going to be dying less because no one's driving. I mean, look, there are, there are all these threads about, Hey, it's great. Cause carbon emissions are down and stuff. And so I don't, obviously I don't think anyone should be celebrating a pandemic, right. but this is an epidemiologist dream. Like you can imagine what's going to happen to the actuarial tables. It's just, this is one of the greatest data experiments in history. Yeah. And that's not to be insensitive about it. It's just we are going to be learning uh, from this for decades. Decades. We're going to have hindsight bias up to yin-yang. Like this is yeah, a wall of worry that this market, you're not a markets guy, but I am, but it's a wall of worry that uh, any kind of economic traction and new directions, which is going to get you back in the game, I know it, and we'll talk about that, is going to create this wall of worry for, for, for hardworking people that's going to be epic. Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately we have to realize this isn't a black swan event this was entirely predictable <laughs> even Taleb like, says that's not a black swan the, event no this was gonna happen it was inevitable uh and so but i think it's wild just to look at the kind of the second and third order functions of what's happening here so um you know like you shut down all the factories in china and it turns out your no2 emissions come way way down um and suddenly um and suddenly people stop getting uh, all the respiratory uh, you know, ailments and stuff like that. And so like, you look at how many millions of people in China um, die from, uh, from, emissions, from air, pollution, air pollution and emissions. Yeah. And yeah. And suddenly we've got this situation where, you know, they got some respiratory relief um, and you don't have people driving around. So nobody's getting drunk and crashing into each other. On the other hand, I have a feeling that domestic abuse cases are way up. Um, and yeah. so it's just going to be fascinating and people are probably getting less exercise. So we probably accelerated our obesity curve. Huh. Um, I didn't think of that. I'm you know, the opposite right now, but that's interesting, but not, not that I, mean, I haven't thought about killing somebody. So yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm on the other hand, side. they might be eating less restaurant food. So sodium intake might be down. Who the hell knows? It's just going to be fascinating. Oh, it's right? an experience. It's a test of the emergency yeah. broadcasting system, like globally over and, and physically. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's, it's like you said, like, I have never had the opportunity to watch a panic from my desk with no interruptions. I don't have two, three kids at home. I have two kids that are, you know, call out of the house. So it's literally been Zen, a month of Zen where I actually have done 40 podcasts with friends. So, uh, <laughs> and people like you would never even call you to bug you, but you actually found some time because there is a little bit of time that you, that you have now to, to, to think about this stuff. Right. Cause you don't I mean, do podcasts anymore. I mean, you used to be so busy every minute. I mean, I'm busier than I've ever been. That's why I don't Different do busy. podcasts anymore. Yeah. But I mean, right now we're doing 80 hours a week of relief efforts, um, both philanthropic and then operationally. I mean, we're getting PPE into the country and distributed this morning. I've been distributing antibody tests to frontline uh, caregivers to see if we have any indications of this underlying you know, mass population of folks with antibodies. Um, so far, not seeing it, but um, fingers crossed. So mm-hmm. doing, um, you know, I mean, look, I, I think we are at the beginning of the curve of the destruction for Main Street America in terms of you saw those job losses. <sighs> but that stuff takes a long time 
uh, to trickle through. And, and I would and argue, Chris, so those numbers were there. They were just under, they, I would call them underemployed. I would say we were at 15% underemployed. Now we're 30% unemployed. Maybe 20% I'm never going to argue with you on something like that, of course, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just how this economy has worked. been evolving. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, those numbers are going to get nasty. I mean, here, you know, we're in a tiny little mountain town, but it's dependent upon tourism. And obviously, there's no tourism. All the hotels, restaurants, bars, everything is shut down, the resorts. Um, but the uh, local food bank last week served eight times as many visitors in a week as they did in all of last year. Um, and it's just, the need is just going to be bonkers. And so we, you know, we're obviously focusing on the healthcare need. How do we get people into these facilities? How do we get them tested? How do we get, um, keep them safe? The, you know, the caregivers as well as the patients. Mm -hmm. Um, how do we even research what's going on? I think you saw, um, you know, under the leadership of the Collison brothers at Stripe, we launched this thing called Fast Grants, which was, um, we just launched it a couple of days ago. It's 48 it. hour turnaround to anyone working on peer research in an academic institution related to COVID-19. Um, and so really hoping we see some, some benefits out of that stuff. Um, academics are, are super fascinated by it because nobody's ever granted money that fast. I know. Like idea. I was some, Trent Griffin was telling me on my, on the podcast yesterday, he goes, this is like going to speed up medicine. Like you can't, it's a miracle. It's like, a, it's a miracle at some levels because yeah. 15 years becomes two years. Yeah. I also, I, you know, I mean, look, there are a bunch of VCs who say just dumb, dumb, all horribly insensitive shit all over Twitter. Yeah. Um, and then just get barked out of the room on this stuff. But what I do like is that a wider swath of people are turning their attention to these issues, learning the details, learning what the operational hurdles are, learning what's frustrating. I mean, you know, guys like Peter Pham, who normally don't get involved in issues like this, mm -hmm. Peter's staying up all night long trying to figure out how to navigate uh, getting millions of units of PPE, of protective equipment into this country. Hmm. And I love it because yeah. he's representative, you know, Flexport dedicated a ton of their corporate resources over to this project through their yeah, flexport.org initiative that we help fund. And it's, I, I love when smart operational minds are moving in this direction. I love that a lot of people are learning some of the basic biology right now. I mean, three weeks ago, there are very few people in this country who could tell you about IgG and IgM and the difference between those two types of antibodies and how they might be reflective of current or past infections. Uh, and now they're in much more common parlance among people who are trying to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. I think that there's no downside to more minds being focused, particularly on these diseases. You know, you can't escape them. That's one of the wildest things about this pandemic is there's nowhere no to escape. go. Nowhere to go. Right. I'm coming here fact, with Canute every day. Like, there's nowhere to go. No, I mean, but in fact, the rich people tried to go to all their ski towns and they just fucked up those towns. So they, they're the ones I, that spread it to those towns. Right. Um, and so there's nowhere to fly to. And I think, you know, as much as we are seeing it disproportionately impact communities of color and uh, and places where economic, you can, yeah, where people don't have the freedom to miss a day of work and that kind of stuff, that's a disaster. But there is a slightly democratic aspect of this versus a normal economic contagion where, you know, you just can't get away from it. Rich people have to quarantine too. And so the more of the nation and the world's brain trust that we can get invested in thinking about solutions and treatments, you know, diagnostics, supportive care, therapeutic care, and cures, uh, the better. Yes. Uh, well said. Can I dumb it down for a minute and, say, and ask about Shark Tank? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so how long did you do that? I was a little bit jealous. That was fun. Um, was that fun or not? I mean, I couldn't do TV it was in the makeup. super fun. Okay, I so when did it. you do it? Uh, I was there season seven and eight, and then uh, they played some of my stuff in season nine. They took some episodes off the cutting room floor and jammed them into season nine. The audience wanted more of me. So, Quick, quick question. Uh, is it, is yeah. it true Mr. Wonderful has bad breath? I've never heard that. I will tell you this. Well, I said that. I, I, don't, I don't know if I've heard it anywhere else. But he just Mr. seems like but he has bad breath. <laughs> I haven't experienced that. Well, I'm I'll not saying you, you kissed him. I, I mean, obviously you wouldn't, but I'm just no, saying he, he has that heavy only... smell about him, even though I've never seen him. So you're <laughs> saying you liked all, him. You're he's a nice guy. He's the only one on the show who plays a character. 
And so in real life, in real life, he loses people guy. money on TV <laughs> by talking about gold and uh, bad investments. Dude, dude, who hurt you? Like you? <laughs> it just looks like an ass. I know he's playing a character, but stop talking about money when you're playing a character. Take the money he, part seriously. He is. I mean, we we don't see eye to eye on politics whatsoever, right? I mean, he's a let's poke holes in the in the tundra and drill the fucking oil um, kind of guy. And uh-huh. his his campaign uh, in in uh, in Canada for prime minister is particularly well. Yeah, but. I will tell you this of everyone on that show, uh-huh. he is the one who he wears that mortician suit and looks like Mr. Burns. Yeah. Uh, but when they stop rolling, he changes into a flannel and some rib chains and uh-huh. plays his guitar. And he's he a plays total guitar? hippie and drinks yeah. wine and hangs out. And of everyone there, he was always the very nicest to me and trying oh, to help me this, this, do this well is, on the show. This is the worst part of the interview. I hated hearing that. <laughs> the, yeah, uh, but, no. Okay, whatever. I, I only know the character. I only know the character. Yeah, that's the thing. Everybody else in that show plays themselves. Yeah, um, Mark's himself. He's always been nice to me. I don't know the other people, but Mark's Mark is a nice. genuinely nice guy. Yeah. I also think Mark genuinely uh, likes to Screw read and learn. And uh, and so, you know, and I he really does get involved in those companies. Mark has the quickest email response time of any human alive. Yes. Uh, I'm scared to email I, him because I, I, unless it's important why I email him. Did, so it's been did, six years. We did deals <laughs> where we put like 30 grand into a company and they call, you know, they email with a question and Mark is back to them at five minutes. Yeah. It's like, dude, don't you have like players to trade and stuff? This is amazing. Yeah. He was, um, he was like that in the day. I'm sure he still is. Yeah. He's obsessive. So but, w- no, the show is fun. I mean, the show is perfectly authentic. It's all our own money. They don't tell us what to say. There's no quota of deals or anything like that. Right. You know, the only thing about it is they take an hour long pitch. That's what a lot of people don't realize. And cut it down to eight minutes of television, but they're not tricky about the editing. Um, And so it was real. And I appreciated that a lot. Did you have a winner out of that? Was there anything you invested in that worked? I've got a few. Yeah. Um, Give me one. Tell me one. Brightwheel is a a company that does, um, it's basically billing and attendance taking for uh, independent preschools and kindergartens and stuff like that, as well as it's kind of an individualized Instagram feed for just your kid at school. So uh, when your kid's in preschool, you know, the teacher, great idea. You want to have daily updates, you know, a lot of these preschools put webcams up, but you can't tell what the hell's going on. So a teacher could really easily, um, and and they'd been doing this with all these really high friction ways, but a teacher could really easily be like this kidnapped, this kidnapped, this kidnapped, or, Oh my God, this is cute. Look at the kid's got paint all over his face or something. And just, and then those are going to feed for just you, the parent about just your kids. So privacy is protected, et cetera. Really, really fun stuff. That company is killing it. Uh, another company's hatch. So, um, and Crady Weiss started this company that originally was this hypersensitive baby changing table where you could tell how much your baby based on how that. much they weighed. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, true ventures an investor in that maybe. Exactly. That sold really well. Uh, but then she moved into this thing called the rest light mm. and the rest light is just this programmable nightlight for your kid's room that plays sounds, changes lights. I and mean, we use it as a red light, green light of, to tell our kids when it's okay to come out of their room downstairs, uh, to make sure they get enough sleep. But, uh, and then she's launching a new product for uh, adults this year to help adults sleep better. It's just kind of amazing. But sleep is she, such a big I, category. I'm just a, I can't it fascinates me. I can't remember if she's saying this number. I'm oh, going to no go way. ahead and say it. I think it's public, but I think she's going to do 60 million this year. So I remember um, seeing that at the beginning. So she kind of pivoted. She's just smart. Yeah, but it's just she. Well, she's just a great one of the great entrepreneurs. So, yeah. Um, but no, that show is super fun. If I were still investing in regular consumer products, mm-hmm. I would absolutely still be on that show. It's it's a blast. Yeah, you were a consumer product. Well, I shouldn't say were, you're not washed up. You you are a consumer investing legend. I guess that's how we came across each other. So you were born in Buffalo? Yeah, outside of Buffalo, a little town called Lockport. Yeah, Lockport. And so do I'm you remember? Yeah, a lot of arson. <laughs> I grew up in Toronto at night news. Of I would just course, watch you Buffalo just would burn watch fires and lack of yeah, Lackawanna, Chictawaga. I'd watch right? the Bisons play. I would go to see <laughs> Joe Cribs do t- uh, uh, mattress commercials when I was a kid. I think you're younger than me, so you may not even remember that. No, no, absolutely. Do you remember Irv Weinstein though? That oh, was the guy. Fucking Irv Weinstein was sauced. Yeah. That guy was sauced every night. <laughs> and Rick Azar. 
And uh, yes. man, I mean, Don Luce, I used to go to the Sabres Leafs games and then I used to go, you know, that was my team, right? Like the, the, yeah. the bills were my team. Cause I had the Toronto Argonauts where every, every team in Canada is named the same. So it wasn't very original. So, and then I, um, and then Bob McAdoo used to come play, you know, for the Buffalo uh, Bill, no, the Buffalo uh, Braves, their basketball team used to play occasionally. Yeah, the Braves is definitely before my time. Okay, but yeah, everything Bob else, McAdoo. I was hanging in there with you. So, so when did you leave Buffalo? Or when did you run away? <laughs> when did I flee? Yeah. I loved growing up in Buffalo, by the way. Uh, people who, but, you know, uh, people who are going back now, for sure. Yeah, but, no, it's, Buffalo is doing really well. Yeah. Uh, my brother made a movie called Buffaloed. Yeah. That uh, was in theaters this year, and now you can see on demand at home while you're doing your. He was always thing. a creative kid. Uh, yeah, well, when we were kids, I my my mom was a university professor, and she borrowed the university had one VHS camera that she would borrow on weekends to bring home. And my brother and I would make movies, and so mm -hmm. I would shoot, and he would be the star. Um, and yeah, he went to NYU Tisch and went on. He was in Wolf of Wall Street. He was one of Leo's boys. I remember he was one of Leo's boys. I remember the tweets yeah. about that. That's cool. Um, and where's he living now? LA? He's in LA. Yeah. He's a, he's a big writer and, uh, actor and produces that stuff. industry he's got, is going to change. Another man. Feature. Won't it? <sighs> so just making movies and the congestion of it all. And oof. if they can just different. reduce the pay friction, which it seems like that's kind of happening. I mean, then, all Tom Cruise had to do, dude, is just say, let's do this. Instead, he pushed it to December like the fucking weasel that he is. I'm sure he's a <laughs> smart guy, but he needed to be the guy saying, we're releasing this. We're going to cut a deal with Disney, Netflix, Hulu, and we're going to get this fucking movie out on time. You know, Top Gun 2 instead. No, we'll wait till December. Yeah. Shit like if that. they just make it easier for you to just pay for it. Yeah. That's the funny thing, right? I mean, Do the, the hard work, Tom. You'll make way more money. The Financial money. Times drives me bonkers. Like, terrible, I just, want, just take terrible. my money. Just don't make me fill out a goddamn form. And like. stop giving me links that are fake. Like, you know, show a little tip. Like, give us a little, give us a little financial tip. The, um, so, yeah, edit that out. Does Canute, I was going to say, does Canute push a button over Canute, there? No, Canute, does he, does he go to a dump? I just can't, I just can't stop my laughter. Me. He's like he my going. wife, but Norwegian. He, we went part, we partied at ASU together, which is like uh, DeVry. Uh, business school. <laughs> you're in the class. You're in the lab the first day. The we went. We met at ASU. There was a Norwegian exchange program, and we both showed up at first day MBA with like fucking ink on our arms from all the places we had been to, and that uh -huh. uh, we just hit it off. So he's been my friend since then. Good times. Perfect. So, um, so Buff. So you leave Buffalo, sorry, and you end up at Google. So what's the path to get to Google quickly? Oh no, I went to the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown. Okay. And spent a lot of that time studying abroad, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, and then ultimately realized I didn't have any job prospects. I hadn't signed up to do anything and mm -hmm. joining the foreign service wasn't an option because you don't make enough. And back then you didn't make enough to pay back your student loans. So I was right. screwed. Uh, and so I decided to just punt and go to law school. <laughs> I mean, oh, I what what okay. better way to get out of loan debt than to rack up some more? Me, I dropped so, out of law school. That's why I met Canute. I was at ASU Law. Even switched better. MBA. Yeah. So you even finished better. law school. Yeah, I went to Georgia Law School. Uh, but when I got to school, I told the school my loan checks hadn't shown up. <laughs> and I cashed them and I uh, threw them into a bunch of online trading accounts. And I, I just kited those. You, you yeah. racked up uh, some wins and then you got fucking upside down. So that was your first well, panic. Reg, reg T wasn't a thing yet. So that's the leverage reg, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where you have to go to 50% leverage. So these were all brand, like DLJ Direct and CSFB and um, E-Trade and God, Day -tech, a bunch Day -tech. of other ones. I, I had accounts everywhere because for a thousand bucks, you could just get unlimited leverage. It was like the Robin Hood bug recently. Right. Uh, and so I would just go and and just kite huge, huge trades, you know, triggering an immediate margin call. But I would have days of just sitting on that call just, and I would soak up any of the aggregate upside across that position and then settle the call. Huh. Um, today, Robin, it'll cut me off for day trading for three months. Really? Well, Does I mean, yeah, if you, if you, if you, I didn't know this cause I don't trade that often, but then the virus hit and I have a little, my kids and we were farting around and I was like too many trades. And I broke some limit or something. Oh, I don't even know the rules because I don't trade. The so you so the market was going yeah. up. This is ninety nine or ninety eight. 
the start of 98. Yeah. And so you just so caught that up. Through 2000. Yeah. Yep. But when you do that, you are convinced that you're a genius. <laughs> yeah. You got crushed right? on the way down. Yeah. And so, and so, but I mean, it wasn't cause it wasn't just me. It was like, I put my buddies into, I had two stocks literally. And I put my buddies into those stocks and then they would sell and buy a boat and be like, you're a genius, man. Like, thanks for the boat. You know, <laughs> thanks for the cabin. And, you know, cause my buddies were like bartenders and limo drivers and the guys I grew up with. And, and so it just became this reinforcing thing. Like, you're right. I am a fucking genius. I deserve this money. <laughs> and then, and then when it all goes South very, very soon. And I was margin to the hill. Um, I went from, um, 12 million of the good to 4 million of the bad in like a matter of 72 hours or so. And, and when it all went down, I convinced myself, well, that was just unlucky. And I think that's one of the most damaging things that any of us can do, whether it's in trading and business, et cetera, is like, we can assume that all the upside is causal. <laughs> that We created that and all the downside is just outside of our control. Yeah. And, and I think so they couldn't stop you, you right? Because it happened so fast. So the so the oh, yeah. I remember hearing the story once. So you they went, sold out for their own account. They sold out for their and own so account. Yeah. I was uh, yeah, and so I was able to get some of those trades reversed because they didn't give me the best price at the time. Uh-huh. But I didn't really have much of a leg to stand on overall because I was the one absolutely breaking the rule, leveraging all their money, and the market as it as these particular stocks fall apart. Um, due to, you know, what I think at the time would have been easy to explain as black swan events. <laughs> I don't think we were using that term yet. Right. Um, just left me destitute. And, you know, the only thing I had going for me was that I wasn't married and didn't have any kids and was just broke on my own, luckily. Uh, but Ooh. that was a, that was a gnarly period. I mean, hey. I owed 4 million. I was able to negotiate it to two and an eighth and then I had to work it off. And when did you start at Google? So that just, that tur- like Fred Wilson, those guys got turned off from well, the markets and Brad, just because of those moments, you know, where they had to just, they weren't even market guys, but it just was so ugly for so long that it said, fuck the stock market. So you've, you've never cared since then? Well, for me, for me, the stock market sucked because there was nothing I could do to alter the outcome, right? I'm not Bill Ackman. And so, you know, if I can't like load up on a bunch of shit and then go, talk my own book on CNBC and move the needle, then it's not worth it. And so when I was a trader, quote unquote, I use that word very loosely. I was was just someone who had lots of like reckless positions, but I would just sit there with a pit in my stomach because I would stare at the screen. It was red or green and there was nothing I could do. So true. And, and my personality is one of, let me get involved in a company that one, I think is already good. So that's a screen you use for stocks is something that's already good. But two, where I think I personally can impact the outcome. And I know that I can't assure a positive outcome for my companies, but I know that the ones I choose to get involved with are ones where I personally can move the needle and increase the probability of success. And in that way, I'm playing a rigged game. Whereas in the public markets, I can't, no, you're the I can't play a rigged game. And in fact, I think it's rigged against me. Yeah, right? well, it is. I and that's what you have other to people assume. have more information than I do. Yeah. And so I'm, that's why I'm a private markets guy. Me too. I mean, I love the public markets just for the behavior and the game. Uh, cause I don't play regular games, but I never allow myself to get cut too badly. Cause it's like, it's like NFL football, except instead of concussions, you just get fucking cut really deep <laughs> into your soul and into your heart. And uh, you can't, you, that happened to you in 2000 and 2001. So the yeah. first big investment you made was yourself going to Google. And what were you doing at Google? Cause those well, are some Well, just stories. to be clear, when I, when I lost it all, I, I mean, I lost it all plus millions more, right? So I'm 25 years old. I owe millions of dollars. I have nothing to show for it. And I'm like, well, I better take a job as a lawyer now. Sign up at Fenwick and West in the heart oh, of Silicon Valley, okay. grinding it out. But I've got to service this debt. So in addition to Fenwick and West during the day, I'm doing anything I can to try and make money, picking up any side hustle I can. Uh, not even a full year into that, uh, or maybe it was like 13 months into that, uh, I get laid off four days before September 11th. So for four days, I had lots of job prospects. <sighs> they laid off basically my whole first year class at the law firm. Um, and then September 11th happens and that was it. The jobs dried up and mm. you know, the, the Silicon Valley had just had emptied. In fact, there were, you couldn't even get a U-Haul to wow. take your stuff home to your parents' house cause they'd all gone one way. Wow. 
And so there I was, I was unemployed, complete crash. I owed millions of dollars um, and I was freaked out. And so I started doing anything I could find on Craigslist, on Elance uh, for 50 bucks here and a hundred bucks there. I was the first lawyer on Elance. Um, I was, I was literally writing contracts for 50 bucks. I was writing terms and conditions for porn sites for a hundred bucks. Um, just like literally anything I could find to try and make rent, let alone service of debt. Um, it was, it was an absolute disaster, man. I was writing business plans for companies in exchange for a little bit of equity here and there. You know, originally I was going to, I sent out over 700 resumes without hearing a response. Uh, and I started, I'm like, all right, I, you know, like, I've got this hustle spirit. And so I was going to every business networking meeting I could find. And I had a business card that said Chris Saka, attorney at law. And everyone would like tussle my hair and be like, you, you know, you're a smart kid. Something will come together for you. And I'm like, I need something by like Friday, man. Like not, not by like end of the year. Like I need something right now. Uh, and so I eventually came up with this thing called the Salinger Group. Uh, I had my good friend who's now my wife, Crystal, uh, design a business card for me. I had a website that said a lot of nothing uh-huh. and it, we had a ventures division, a consulting division and a media division just so that. I could kind of cover all my bases for any possible job wow. that would come my way. And I just went to these meetings that I would sneak into cause I didn't have the 25 bucks to get in. I would go in through the kitchen usually. Um, and I would just hand people my business card and say, we, instead of I, uh, and people are like, Ooh, the Salinger group. Yeah, I know you guys, you guys do good work. And it just sounded familiar. <laughs> Stanza. It's like, it was, uh, fully. Stanza, yeah. it was 100% that. Yeah. Um, and so I eventually kind of fought my way back into it, trying to service that along the way. And it was, I went to a company called Spidera, um, yeah. Akamai sued us 13 times. We countersued them seven or eight. Um, the, the FBI came broke down our door and arrested our CTO for a computer fraud and abuse act one day. Oh my um, God. and, uh, I remember yeah, it was Speed a pretty Era. exciting time. Were they, yeah. was I mean, it, ultimately Akamai bought us yeah. after trying to sue us out of oblivion, yeah. uh, into oblivion. They, they, uh, had to suck it up and buy us. Yeah. Um, but, but along the way there, I, um, a buddy sent me a job description at Google and it was so perfectly suited for me. They're like, we want a guy who's a business person and a lawyer and understands uh, IP transit and transport and electrical power and tax regimes and all this other stuff. And it was so on point for what I did at Spadera that I wrote back to the buddy, fuck you, this isn't a funny joke. And cause I thought he had just kind of cut and pasted the, <laughs> the, the, the HTML into an email. And then he sent me the live link and he's like, no, this is a real thing. And, uh, and so I, cause I had tried to socially engineer my way into Google for years. I didn't I mean, know I had figured okay. out, I figured out David Drummond's fax uh, number and had spent time on the phone with his assistants. And, but ultimately he finally, I find he finally had the job that fit. So I, uh, I did 17 interviews in two days and at the time was their fastest hire. Um, and so that was great. And it took me until Google went public to finally get back to zero. Um, and I had a BYOB party to celebrate. Um, <laughs> And, and ultimately, I, I, I think you've heard me tell us before, but I, I actually overpaid my last Sally Mae check by $27.82. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it, that check used to be on my fridge. I haven't seen it in a while. Oh, meaning they owed you. The they sent you They back. owed me. And that's so I cool. didn't cash it. I was just like, fuck it. Sally Mae owes me money. Um, <laughs> Should have. So, that's worthless but, now. Should yeah, cash but I, br- I, I, I mean, I, I tell that whole story because now my audience a, will love this on stock. Toys I mean, that was just a pure panic situation. Yeah. Like, and, and I'll, I'll say one other thing. I don't think I've talked about out loud, but I start seeing, I've seen a bunch of people right now tweeting, like now's a great time oh, to learn Lord. a new skill and stuff yeah. like that. And I'm like, uh, you know, and it is like always, I mean, funny no, enough, I'm going to hang up with you and I'm going to take a violin lesson with my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you this, when you don't have a fucking job, you are so freaked out that no, you don't eat right. You don't fucking work out. You're not Mm -hmm. learning a new skill. You're not fucking painting. It's okay to just be fucked up and miserable right now. Like that is, that is the natural human reaction. And it's like that for smart people, for entrepreneurs, for hustlers, for all these people who 
will go on eventually to do great things. It is perfectly reasonably to be self-destructively unhealthy and fucking panicked right now. I agree. And people don't say that. They're like, great. You know, all these great books were written during the Black Plague and stuff. I'm like, fuck you. They were already rich or they were already destined to be a great creative person. This whole idea of panic with friends is just let people like yourself tell a story about panic if they're willing to tell it. Yeah. I'm just out here to tell people if they are fucking bong hits deep into a, a can of chef boy rd they haven't even put into a bowl I mean, i'm rich just, and like, i do that <laughs> yeah. what's my problem they're just freaking the fuck out right now that is the natural response to I this agree. and they should feel fine i told my son this and i've been arguing with my wife about this she's like why isn't he working i go he's fucking this may be the last party month of his life meaning why stress him out like go get outside because he's going to be back working the rest of his life Luckily, he has that. But for other people, who they have to be freaking out. Like, give people their space. Like, this is not a pleasant uh, time for eighty percent of the country. Yeah, I mean, we're already we have so many people who are already at the edges of the economy, right? Yeah. And so, just teetering check to check. I mean, we obviously we're really lucky. So we've we've continued to just pay everybody in our orbit. You know, whether it's people who clean houses we've tried to pick up salaries because we know not all our other peers are doing that so we've tried to supplement you know like pay and supplement we we gave um paid sick leave to everybody who was working on construction projects that were for us or our companies but that we you know that we're not their direct employers we've uh we've been coming up with projects for people to work on that are safe that are one at a time or spread out or stuff like exterior painting and stuff like that just trying to keep people employed to the extent possible in safe ways. Um, you know, we've been trying to help local businesses and I personally just launched a Uber eats here in Jackson. <laughs> oh, Uber eats here? Are you driving around? We, no, I just, I, I called up the company. I was like, can I just be your local launcher? Can I source all your, I'll navigate the legal stuff and then I'll source the local restaurants. Like, I know it wasn't on the roadmap, but these restaurants are just getting hammered and Uber Eats is a, you know, it's throwing them Life a ring. So, yeah. The, of the four, because uh, we won't have time to go through all this and I'll have you back one day, but of the four, Uber, Twitter, Instagram, I want to think of that. Of those three, like Jack and Ev and um, Travis and, uh, oh God, I'm having a brain fart on Instagram. I just, Kevin, who, yeah. who impressed you the most when you first met him? Because you were an investor in all three. Um. Uh, I think you got, I think you left out Stripe. Okay, that Stripe. Would be my okay, answer. so that would be the, the answer. Collison brothers. The they're Collisons. just calm and fucking like they're like they they're like the Gracie brothers. They're like grapplers of of of, of entrepreneurship. They I met take Pat- everybody to the Patrick. Mat. I met Patrick when he was fourteen. So mm-hmm. he came over to the United States. Paul Graham was hosting him. He might have been fifteen, but he brought him over to Google and he introduced us. And by that point, that kid had written most of an operating system over a dial-up connection from Limerick. I mean, just fucking bonkers smart. And at that point, I hadn't even met his brother, John, who's just as smart. Is John older Uh, or younger? So, John's younger. He's a couple years younger. So 14 and 12 at the time. Yeah, ultimately, I signed their O2 visa letters, I think when they were 17 and 15, respectively, uh, to get them into the country. And they were co-founders on a company where um, where they were partnered up with Harjit and Kulveer Tiger, who were cousins that I'd met at Oxford, who were business guys but not coders. And so <laughs> the Cossins were coders. They built a little company called Octomatic, which um, was a front end to eBay that we sold to some company, Live Something, up in, uh, in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I forget. It wasn't a huge exit. But I do remember... You know, the brothers made a couple million dollars doing that. And the know. articles back home in Ireland, they were national heroes. They're like, they took their first communion money, bought a computer, and are millionaires now. And, um, but those are the two smartest human beings on the planet Earth. And I say that as someone who who absolutely adores and looks up to Larry Page, um, who has, you know, I, I've spent time with most of the greats. I mean, I'm inspired by Bill Gates and think he is just punishingly smart and, yeah. and empathetic. Um, yeah. But, the empathy is really showing up in the last five, 10 years. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I was raised to hate that guy working, growing right, up at Google. Right, me too, because I had to send my but, software to get uh, flying windows on my box. I fucking thought they were the devil, right? Like, we remember. Like, right, fucking Egghead. Right, I would get net right. never from Egghead after fucking sending my software to Microsoft to peruse for a month to send me back the rights to put a flying fucking window so Egghead could never pay me. It was a great system back then. And people are mad at Apple for taking 30% for magic. You know, like right, it's... right. Fucking people do not remember big. how evil Microsoft was. Microsoft was oh, they were fucking tough, evil. They were tough. On a future episode, let's talk about what it was like to compete with them at Google because oh, we were they Lord. were we had them in the sites. Um, but but Patrick and John uh, never forget a single thing they read. Hmm. Uh, neither of them. Um, hmm. And in fact, remember they they one of the first things they built as a side project was a downloadable Wikipedia. Um, and they, they just remember it all. It's nuts. Uh, they have huge hearts. They, they yeah, do not, tell. you know, they're very exposed to the human condition. Um, and, and they're just like, they're just relentless and, you know, everything they do, they're incredible pilots. They're great athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just incredible people. And I think so. So of everyone I've worked with, I think they're the most magical. Okay. That's now, a that cool said, story the one common thread among all these guys. And so, uh, I'll take like Ev, um, Ev Williams, Travis, yeah. Kevin Sistrom, um, Jeff at Twilio. Oh yeah. You know, Jeff the, at Twilio. Yeah. The, the, co- the common thread across them. Um, I'll throw in, um, I'll throw in, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Shivani at Tala. No, no, um, no. so Tala is, uh, it's, it's like microfinance, micro lending for the developing world. Yeah. Uh, you install an app. She looks at your Android phone and instantly tells you how credit worthy you are and makes you a mobile money loan on the spot. And her repayment rates are higher than, than any FICO loan. Um, wow. even to people who are, who don't have a permanent address, et cetera. She's, she's an absolute beast. Um, and, and I'd say the common thread among all of them is that when I met them or I'd known Travis a long time and I'd known Ev a long time, but when I, when I, when I talked to them about their companies, they were never trying to sell me. There was never like this, their heart rate didn't change and they weren't trying to get me excited about it. Instead, it worked the other way around where they just spoke with this inevitability of the success of their thing and I got drawn into that. So Kevin Sistrom would be sitting all alone. One night, Travis Kalanick was actually pitching Uber to Jason Calacanis' angel forum. And it was in one of those co-working spaces in San Francisco. That is a room full of bad breath, but yeah, keep coming. (laughs) And they had turned all the lights down so that like Travis could be on, you know, like an improvised stage. And in the shadows of that room, Kevin Systrom is building Instagram. Wow. And, and I had, which was a pivot, right? Cause it wasn't that. Yeah. Yeah. Bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. Bourbon. And so, and so, Kevin said, I, I just said, Hey man, what are you working on? And he's like, I'd love to sit down and tell you about this thing. And so we sat down, we caught up and, you know, and at that time, by the way, this sounds hilarious in retrospect, but I had already made money on photo bucket. Flickr had already been sold. I'm like, man, photos are a done thing. Who can make money with photos? This is right. kind of silly. Um, but, but Kevin would just speak and he's like, yeah. And when we get to 10 million users, it'd probably be a good time to roll out this feature. Oh my Lord. And I'm just sitting there like looking around the room, like, dude, it's like you and Mikey and you're talking about 10 million users. What are you talking about? And yet, you know, in the earliest days of Uber, when Travis is at my house up in Truckee and pacing around the kitchen, as he always does, uh, you know, we would be talking about how we would just be using bits to deliver atoms and we would have more information about transportation logistics than any company in history. And we could deliver people. Sure. But we could deliver packages and food. And, you know, when we started going down the list of, uh, of cities to launch in, you know, Travis made Paris like number three, I think. I remember I was on the um, web and, and, and Lewick made, yeah, it was like just coming out. In there Paris. wasn't anywhere in the world that hated this idea more than Paris. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, they, they lit cars on fire, yeah. but that's Travis is like, yeah, we should just go there. And, uh, you know, let's, why wouldn't we launch there? When you talk to Jeff Lawson, it was just clear to him that there was a massive problem with a regular publicly switched telephone network and how it interacted with, uh, with the internet and that he could make that interface just seamless and easy and basically use HTML to control the PSTN. And he just knew, he's like, and so when all the call centers are using this and when all the e-commerce sites have it, um, and so it's just, you know, and, and I mean, 
it's funny when I, when I first spoke with Shivani about uh, her background and, you know, she has this whole app and this whole data layer. And I was like, so who coded all this? And she's like, well, I did. And I was like, but you're not a computer scientist. And she's looked at me and she's like, Chris, it's not that hard. I taught myself. Um, and it's just like the one thing that they all had in common was nobody was like falling all over themselves to be like, dude, this is the next greatest thing. I promise you. They just knew in the inevitability of their success. I mean, I, I remember Evan Williams and how when people would say, how is this ever going to monetize? It was like his head would break. It was like, wait, it's not obvious to you how much money we're going to make once we have all I mean, this what, attention I mean, on the platform. I mean, he's still the legend of legends and product. He might be one of the most thoughtful people I've I mean, ever met. I haven't I mean, really met him, but like history will show that like that guy's product skills are off the map. They're incredible. He just doesn't like to talk that much because when you ask him a question, he really, really likes to yeah. think about the you answer. You put my mouth on his body. We can fucking, I'm a, I'm a trillionaire. <laughs> Instead, yeah. I'm like, my superpower is I read everything and forget it. That's why I'm a podcaster now. I have the skill. <laughs> superpower is what? What happened? The, uh, so I could go on forever. Let's just talk about the future a little bit, what you're working on now. Cause you're coming out of, you're coming off the mat. You got, you're, you're living a little bit off the grid and do, focusing on community and giving back but the future, you, you, you've got to be dragged in now. So what's, I mean, what do you got excited about right now? I, it's not so much dragged in. It's like, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Um, oh, I wasn't calling it a comeback. I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, I've been, I, I announced a few years ago that I was just quitting investing. Um, and that was mostly a way to just spare my inbox to, yeah. you know, my inbox is already a disaster. And then you go on Shark Tank and it's just everybody who's ever had an idea Scale. is emailing yeah. you. Uh, and so, I just needed to tap out of that. I didn't have passion for the things we were investing in. Uh, and, and it's not to say there isn't amazing stuff being built. I just wasn't my stuff. I, it wasn't getting me excited to wake up in the morning. Um, and you know, like stuff like I'm not a gamer. Uh, I had some younger people working for me who were super excited and I was like, yeah, I get how this is going to be a big thing, but I'm just not excited to go like dive into it. It's not my world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the blockchain is, is a fascinating intellectual experiment, but I realized I didn't have deep opinions about it. Mm-hmm. I would do AMAs and people like, what about the blockchain? And I was like, I, I, I just don't have any table pounding opinions about it. Me neither. And so, and, and without that stuff, it's hard to be an investor in those yep. spaces. Right. Yep. I mean, where I've made money is when I've been like, all in. Are you fucking serious? You don't see this? You know, mm-hmm. when, when people used to like, how is Twitter ever going to make money? I'm like, just shut up and give me your stock. You shouldn't even be allowed to own this stock. So, yeah, and that's what you were you doing. You were buying all the stock. Yeah. That's what I did. I mean, yeah. by the time it went public, we owned 18.5%. Uh, yeah. And I, and my first check was only 25 grand. So over the years, I just acquired it from people. But these days, so for the last four years, I've been really quietly and only in the last couple of months that we've been taking the covers off it. But um, investing aggressively in both for and nonprofit climate solutions. And so I, and, and this just gets me excited, yeah, like the ability awesome. to dramatically impact the planet and get rich again has been pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of the stuff we're doing is pure research where there isn't a monetizable play, but if it works, we'll save 70 to hundred million lives. Um, and then some of it is just, you know, shifts in energy and transportation and food and disease. And I know we're going to make a ton of money. I mean, our portfolio is already crushing it. And it's just funny that I can feel this good about what we're doing and just be racking up huge numbers. And so that's, you know, we weren't telling anybody it's called lower carbon capital. Awesome. Um, we had the website up there for a while. Nobody had found it, but, uh, but now we're kind of, talking about it. We're staffing up. The team is getting bigger. Uh, we have a head of science coming up. Where is it? Where is it going to be in Wyoming? Everything's distributed. You know, I've never had a headquarters. Uh, and so, uh, because if you have a headquarters, then you got to have meetings. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I've always meetings suck. (laughs) Well, if you don't have a space, they can't take place. So, um, you know, I haven't even, other than, uh, zoom meetings for my kids and a couple of violin lessons. I haven't opened up zoom since, uh, since the pandemic started. I just, I can't fucking deal. Yeah. I, uh, I just want to get shit done. But so we have uh, one guy who sits in New York, uh, another guy who's in the Bay area. Um, we have a head of science coming on, uh, and that person doesn't know they're the head of science yet. So I don't want to disclose where they are, but, uh, I'm in Wyoming 
you know, we, I, I, I just want to work with the best people wherever they are. And the best climate companies, many of them are over in Europe because they got a little bit of a head start. Huh. But, uh, but ultimately, the approach we're trying to take is doing things that don't require jumping through regulatory hurdles, where it's just basically anything we can do to meet climate demand by just presenting consumers with a better, faster, tastier, sexier thing and not having to guilt or shame anybody into a solution. Like I am not trying to convince any Just make it easy. Just flip yeah, a switch. There's no, there's no political will. There's no, yeah. there's no economic will to take a hit. But I don't think we need to. I think we can just give them better options. And done right, people are dramatically impacting the planet without even knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. I'm really appreciative that you took this much time uh, and had a go. I think it went pretty well. What do you think? Oh, super fun, man. You'd do it again. (laughs) Of course, dude. Well, everyone keep panicking. It's a natural reaction. It's a natural thing. People just try and uh, maybe go outside for a walk. You don't have to do anything fancy, but, uh, or do some community work. I mean, it's tough to get outside yourself. My therapist always said like, Hey dude, why are we talking at the end of the call? Go do something for the community. So, uh, that generally helps. People always does feel better. I shout out the national domestic workers Alliance is really helping people who are caught in this economy and screwed. Uh, team Rubicon is one of my favorite organizations to volunteer with. They especially work with, uh, former veterans and first responders. Uh, and, and in normal times, they are the first people on the ground after a hurricane. Um, and it's just some of the most thrilling work. And it's great because guys with PTSD who come back and are having a hard time adjusting, go into a hurricane post hurricane setting. And believe it or not, like the mayhem actually feels a little bit soothing. And so they thrive there, but that's a really cool organization that anyone can volunteer with. And, um, and, and help others at a time like this, I would absolutely encourage anyone listening to go find their local food bank. And those dollars go a long, long yeah, way. Food banks are great. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a bad scene out there right now, man. Yeah, what we're doing is just local restaurants near hospitals and keeping them both kind of working, sending food from the local hospitals. I saw that on 60 Minutes, just copying that idea. It's just sending it to yeah. people at the hospital. You can do easy uh, stuff with a credit card yeah. and still get Ryan shit done. Ryan Sarver and Frank Barbieri in San Francisco started something that's gone nationwide now, Frontline Foods, where it's, it's exactly that. Have local restaurants, keeping people employed, keeping the supply chain Frontline healthy. Frontline Foods, good idea. Bring it, yeah, bringing food out to the hospitals. It's just... Um, it's easy. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's really not hard. So look, man, um, but yeah, to everybody out there who's feeling freaked out right now, uh, you're not alone. And that is a natural feeling. So hang in. Thanks, Chris. We will talk soon. Thanks for taking the time. Be well. Absolutely. Okay, cheers. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. What do you think there, K-Nut? I loved his story. Oh, it's an old, it's a good story. <laughs> and for our, for Stocktwits people, I mean, oh, I don't I know, know this guy. Like, you know, he's been, he's been living in Wyoming for a few years in, in LA, but like, man, he was in every meeting for about 10 years. He was just popping up on Twitter. I mean, he, he couldn't, he just had like the bravado and just, you know, obviously not for everybody, but for me, it was funny. Yeah. He was just like, where's Waldo? He was like, where's Saka? <laughs> he was in every deal hustling. I don't know how else he can make money. He's a street hustler. Well, he figured he it out. He had way more appetite sure. than risk. I mean, in the end, people got to be honest with themselves. I couldn't do what he did because I can't take that risk. Mm-hmm. I'm just too wimpy, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to live with that debt. Or, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes you do crazy things, you know? And I think this generation, by the way, because they don't have credit card debt other than school debt, which is terrible debt. Like credit card debt at least helped the consumer, the economy up. Right. right? If you own Best Buy, shit's getting done. You know, fucking your college just going into a goddamn. Uh, whatever you call it, the, the endowment. Um, you know what I mean? So like we were stressed by our credit card debt. All right, so we're good. We're good? Yep. All right, everybody, we'll be back soon with another Panic with Friends.